Welcome to the Metaversible Podcast, chronicling the journey of reaching the metaverse through blockchain, digital art, and virtual reality. Welcome back to the Metaversible Podcast, where we explore the art and the science of the metaverse, this digital world in which we live in. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Chris Cochran. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host and best friend, Ron Eddings. Glad to be back in the metaverse. We are about to take another red pill and dive right in. Ron, who do we have with us today? Today, we have two very special guests. This is actually our first episode on the Metaversible podcast with two guests. And we're going to be talking about decentralized autonomous organizations. And to discuss this topic, we've brought in two of the co-founders of Squads. We have Sean and Stepan. Welcome to the Metaverse, gentlemen. Pleasure to be with you. Yeah, it's great <laughs> to be here. Thanks for, for having us, guys. Very excited. We are beyond excited to talk about what you have been doing in this metaverse, but would love to hear your origin story. How did you all get into this metaverse and what has it been like for you since? Uh, well, Sean, I can start if that's uh, yeah. my mind is probably shorter. <laughs> yeah, so I did, you know, I did corporate law uh, for a couple of years. I worked at Magic Circle Law Firms, uh, doing sort of restructurings and corporations, dealing with sort of traditional forms of organization for a long time. And uh, uh, after that, I left to do my sort of private practice. And around 2017, um, I kind of, you know, during the previous uh, crypto boom, I kind of learned about, you know, DAOs a little bit and how they all work. And then sort of moving into 2020, I kind of felt like, you know, the space is really taking over. Uh, started researching different DAO tools on Ethereum. And started learning about other layer ones, including Solana, and that seemed like you know a good time to get in. And so I joined the hackathon formation chat on Discord that Solana had, and that allowed me to uh, meet Sean. And then you know the rest is the rest is sort of history. But uh, you know it's been yeah it's been some crazy six months since then. Yeah, it was a wild ride. I um, wound up doing the Solana Hackathon in, um, what was that, back in May, right? I think that's when we first linked up. Um, I had wanted to do the one back in November because I'd wanted to get into uh, Solana for a long time and doing uh, smart contracts. I had looked at Ethereum uh, back in 2017, but the timing wasn't really right. I uh, had a previous startup. I'd gone through an incubator in uh, Silicon Valley back in 2014, and I was building a Web2 SaaS company, and then um, jumped into coding Rust this winter and decided to go into the hackathon, and um, Stepan reached out to me, and he was putting a team together. I had this real convoluted idea in my head about you know what to build for this, and Stepan showed up, and he was like, hey, man, um, you want to build a DAO generator? And I was like, <laughs> oh, that's way easier than the crazy thing I was thinking of. <laughs> um, so we, uh, yeah, then we we hit it off. And then there were many crazy hour-long brainstorming and kind of dreaming sessions we had about, you know, the thing that we were developing and what it could turn into. And uh, the timing was just right. And then um, it took off like a rocket right after that. 
So I think that brings up the perfect question for everyone that's listening because they've been along this metaverse journey with us. And what exactly is a DAO? We hear it all the time in open source, but we really want to hear from your perspective. What is a DAO? Let's start with you, Sean, and then get to you, Stepan. Yeah, so the I guess the dictionary definition is is exactly what it sounds like. A decentralized organization lets stakeholders make decisions for a group in the digital sense, generally backed up by a smart contract. And uh, it could be anything. It could be uh, implementing code changes on a protocol level. And it could be something like uh, more of a discussion, uh, just like a town hall type uh, event, if you if you will. Like you know, we've got all this money in our in our you know uh, crypto wallets. What charity should we donate to? And you you see that a lot with um, NFT groups that are that are running things. But Stepan has some some great insight into that. I'll let him run with this with this for a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think the, the more we kind of were getting into the space, the clearer it became that, like, and you know, I, I used to talk about this on, on Twitter before as well. That like, pretty much everyone, uh, every team that's building, you know, DAO tooling is building DAO tooling specifically for their own definition of what a DAO is, right? And so I think everybody has kind of uh, different ideas, and it's. I think it's a great thing that it's not like a fixed definition that you can just pinpoint to. Uh, I think Sean, you know, kind of gave, gave the all the necessary elements uh, in his answer. But sort of from my end, uh, you know, in my experience in uh, dealing with different DAOs and seeing sort of how they operate and, and how they're structured, it's like it, it can be just a Discord server with a gate. It can be a very complex, you know, protocol that owns its own liquidity and where, you know, essentially like the DAO members control the treasury and they control the protocol changes and they vote in them. So they, I think the range is quiet. There's a significant range for it. And I think that's why we're so excited to be in the space because, uh, you know, we're building just some of the tools that, you know, fit a particular, you know, a particular use case, but there's always like so much room to build more useful tools for different, you know, ways to structure it. I think it's even more sort of free form than traditional forms of organization, which are kind of, you know, dictated by, you know, whatever local laws, jurisdictions in, in this space, it's like, uh, you can be really free in the way you want to structure your organization. That's why it's, uh, yeah, it, it's quite a, it's quite a liberal space in that sense. So I guess, yeah, that's, that's the oh, way we see step it. On, you, what was that one tweet that was really good that you shared a while back? It was like people eating lunch and or at a cafe oh yeah yeah splitting the bill yeah like five five people splitting the bill at lunch <laughs> is a DAO, right like that's the whole point and you can look at it from different ways right like it's it can it can have like purely social aspect that's why it's like you know it's more about for some DAOs, it's like more about just social interactions for some DAOs, it's really financial for some it's like uh, really sort of based on actually managing something right managing a protocol like dealing with actually you know startups and things so it's really that, that's why it's so cool right because there's so many definitions and i think for me initially like the the something that drew me in was uh, i think balaji was saying it like 2019 you know dao is essentially like a way to start a company from a command line so like even from like a logistics perspective uh you know a definition of a dao can, can be in that sense right like you can Instead of going to corporate registrars and, and lawyers and, and corporate providers, you just go and in a few clicks, right? You have a you have a company essentially that, right? An organizational vehicle. So that's uh, yeah, that's why we're excited to be in the space. This sounds like a, a perfect use case, and we were actually just talking about smart contracts on our last episode. We were talking about them from the perspective of NFTs, but this seems like 
some type of technology that we can use in the blockchain space to help multiple artists get paid if they're working for the same decentralized organization. And they can use these smart contracts or, or these DAOs to split the proceeds of the project. But what about if an artist were to leave this project? They have a DAO and they're all getting paid fairly. And then one artist decides that they no longer want to work at this decentralized organization. How does that work on the blockchain and in DAOs? Yes, yeah, so that's, um, that's one of the use cases that we're developing for our private squads um, product that's that's going to be going on DevNet really, really soon. The first thing would be in, in a general sense, I think it comes down what to the what the rules of the smart contract are. And would that artist want to opt out because they feel like they're not getting their fair share? Would they opt out or leave a DAO and continue to get a share? Um, so the question is, what is the, what is the motivation and what are they getting out of it? Do they just want to give up their governance? Like they don't want to participate in that DAO and, you know, cast their vote, so to speak, to delegate certain things or make a decision as part of the group? Or are they just looking to take their toys and go somewhere else, you know, so to speak? So it, there's a few different variables there, I think, that depend on how that DAO is defined and what the rules of that DAO are. Um, that's a big one. There, we had thrown around some examples like even, um, you know, a homeowners association, right, or a small town. Like if you if if we get to a point in the future where a small town is running as a DAO and people essentially get governance tokens, I mean, that starts to cover things like taxation and, you know, where do these services, where do these funds go? So there is the this uh, added value of uh, incredible transparency that doesn't exist in, you know, current governments. Um, it doesn't exist that well in the entertainment industry. I um, come from a family of uh, rock stars. I was like the one computer programming guy, but, and I know firsthand, like the lawyers are taking huge amounts of money and the publishers are taking this. And then you have to deal with, you know, trying to track down if YouTube or TikTok is, is doing the proper licensing and all this stuff. And so would you want the artists to opt out of getting the money or would you want them to opt out or would they opt out because the rules aren't clear enough? Um, but the good news is there that uh, if done well and executed well, the smart contract in the blockchain would show all that. And the governance would also imply that as well. All right, we're going to you know vote to go with this publisher. We're going to change our, our publisher or our distributor or whatever it might be in that sense. So um, I think that somebody leaving a DAO, it has, it has a number of implications, but it would really come down to how it was built and how it was structured. Yeah, I think that's that's totally right. And it's like really about, you know, as we said, right, like it really depends on the structure. So for many, you know, for creative collectives uh, on, you know, on Ethereum, uh, like Friends with Benefits and like, for, you know, Pleaser DAO, and like those are more collective DAOs, but like even for, yeah, I mean, more creative type DAOs that are just sort of collaborating on things together and sharing the, the royalties, you know, for many of them, it's just a gated Discord server based on a token. And then they have, uh, like a multi-sig wallet, which allows them to distribute, uh, you know, like if their royalties are rooted to that. So really depends on the structure. I think like for some of them, you know, quitting a DAO would mean just selling your tokens, right? Like that's that, that's how you quit uh, and leaving the server, right, on Discord. For some DAOs, which are like, you know, because what we're building on, on Solana right now is a more 
you know, as Sean called it, like a private DAO solution. Essentially, it's like a multi-sig wallet where you like whitelist people by their public keys. That means that, you know, we keep track of membership and a DAO needs to vote if they want to add or remove someone, right? So in that case, uh, we actually provide like functionality for you to just click on, you know, quit and your tokens internally are burned and you're not a member anymore, right? If that's what you want. So kind of comes down to, uh, I think Sean's totally right, like comes down to the structure that you choose. I think, you know, for NFT communities, sort of right now, what we're doing on Solana, which is sort of quite new, is that uh, we're providing this uh, like on-chain governance client. So if you have like an NFT mint uh, that happened on Solana and there's like a community formed around it, we actually allow this community to vote with the NFTs. So there's no like third-party additional tokens for that, for, for the DAO. So like the, the NFT itself is the, you know, entry point uh, for anyone to become a DAO member, which, you know, is a kind of a, uh, it's it's a bit a new model because Solana is quite rich with sort of DAO communities. That's why it, it kind of we, we rose to the occasion, I guess. But so you know, in that sense, you know, leaving that DAO would be again you're selling your NFT, right, or just not participating anymore. So I think in that sense, uh, it's uh, it's more flexible, right? There is no employment agreement. You don't need to you know give notice or anything, <laughs> right? It's uh, it's kind of, yeah, more free form in that sense. And uh, yeah, so it, it's a larger question in terms of how you structure your DAO and what you want from it. If you want to retain people in it longer and you're thinking that from a perspective, okay, so I get people on board. I want them to, you know, commit for some time. Like the way to do it would probably be like, uh, you know, financial incentivization, but it's always positive, right? So like you can do, uh, you know, talk investing. You can say, okay, I'm going to invest you X amount of tokens over the course of three months. Uh, and obviously, if, you know, the person leaves, you can pull the plug on the vest and that means that on the vesting and that means that the person, you know, is not going to get uh, those, you know, the full amount of tokens, for instance. So there's, there are ways, but I think as generally in crypto, it's like, yeah, the incentives are positive, right? Because uh, there is no like legal framework uh, or, or any like uh, any way to kind of provide any kind of yeah, negative, uh, negative incentives in that sense. So yeah, that comes down to structure and we're happy to kind of share yeah, our insights that that we had with uh, communities so far, but like there, to be honest, every community is so different, and it really depends on like their goals and their uh, like internal internal governance that they built before them, you know, before they came to us. Because like we're just providing some tools that help with that. At the end of the day, like the hard part is not getting you know to know the tools and how to use them. It's actually uh, you know sort of social engineering within these organizations which has like little to do with web3 it has a lot to do with just being able to organize people and figure out you know what they're good at and how they can contribute so Stepan, I'm actually glad you're here because I have a very burning question for you. Before the podcast, we were talking about our docs status, basically whether there's information about us as people that could tie us to a particular project. And we're all docs, but there are people that aren't docs because number one, they might want to secure their privacy. They don't want people to know all of their business. But then there's also this situation where people feel like there might be legal ramifications in the future because there's so much ambiguity in the world right now when it comes to nfts and DAOs and different things in crypto obviously you're not everybody's lawyer but would would love to hear some perspective for you when it comes to some of the ambiguities behind DAOs and some of the securities laws that are out today yeah that's a great question i get get asked this a lot uh due to my background i think uh, a short answer i'd give is like in my mind, I mean, again, not legal advice, not investment advice, but right. in my mind, um, it's like there will be attempts 
to to regulate the way sort of you know Web three operates and the way tokens are you know transferred back and forth. But uh, I think the real regulation like will come in at the point where you wanna you know you want an off ramp, right? You want to get crypto into uh, some kind of traditional currency. I think on on that front it will be pretty straightforward, and you know the the regulatory framework will adapt to that really quickly. Already kind of did, and will just develop further. So that's pretty clear, but. For those staying sort of within the Web3 space and, you know, th- there is talk about actually bringing like identity to to blockchain, right? And I think it's called Civic. Uh, I just read about this a couple of days ago. But basically the idea there is like you will be able to like link your identity to a wallet. But with me reading that, like it kind of defeats the purpose, right? Because I use, you know, we use, you know, throwaway wallets. We use wallets all the time, which for like for different things. And it's also like good security sense. So having like this one wallet that's representative of who you are on Web3 and have it attached to you forever, like it's your passport, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Also because, you know, a wallet in Web3 is also like, the, it's not going to change from, from to, some, to anything else just because it's too convenient, right? Like that's what, you know, if you have a wallet and a talk and a certain token in it and connected to an application, you will see certain things appear. And if you don't have it, you, you will not see them. And there's no login, there's no password. And it's also like one wallet throughout different apps, right? So it's really convenient that you don't need to have 17 different, you know, pairs of uh, passwords and logins. So I guess what, what I'm leading to is like, when, it, when it's going to be about like off ramps and actually touching the sort of web to world and, and touching traditional currencies. Yeah, I mean, that's where regulation will be really straightforward. But with DAOs that, you know, actually stay within the web three space, uh, it's going to be harder to regulate. And I think, again, the regulation will probably be on the positive front, like Wyoming, you know, has shown that like, if you want to interact with the sort of traditional forms of, of currencies and, and other institutions that are not dealing in crypto, there is a framework for you to actually make this kind of a clone within the real world, which is like an LLC in Wyoming. I'm sure other jurisdictions will catch up to that. And that's, that's what it's going to be about. So I think uh, at least, you know, that's what, what I'm kind of, the feeling that I'm getting. So uh, remains to be seen, right? Like there's definitely some more friendly crypto countries than others. Like uh, I think, you know, Switzerland and Portugal and Singapore are going to lead the charge and kind of will depend. I think, again, for any regulation, in my mind, will sort of be positive. So there will be like probably some positive tax regimes that will allow you to, by doxing yourself, right, and your income from that to convert it into USD in some favorable form. So I think that's where it's going to come down. So I, I don't think it's um, um, it, it will it's a viable you know possibility that uh, it will be like fully regulated and we'll have to sort of declare you know wallets and ownership and we'll also have to like dox ourselves uh, mandatorily. I don't think that's ever going to happen either. So. Um, I imagine, yeah, maybe I'm, I'm too, yeah, I, I believe in it too much, but that's just, yeah, that, from, from what I see and how it develops, it just makes total sense to me now. Well, you know, this is, this is uncharted territory and we, we got really excited when Wyoming passed that. I think that was in July, right? Step on, it was, uh, yeah. early, yeah. early July, I think. Yeah. Um, some, sometime around that. Yeah. So state of Wyoming is now legally recognizing DAOs. And um, this this is new, and we're trying to really push this forward and um, uh, really get a lot of exposure out there for this for this technology. I don't know. I, I agree with Stepan. Like, there's certain jurisdictions that are going to do certain things, but it's always a good practice in crypto to not use a singular 
point of entry, a singular key pair. Um, you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket to begin with. So even tying that to identity, but people can always, same thing with Bitcoin. I mean, like SegWit has made it better to squeeze more transactions in and you can generate a whole lot of addresses uh, for whatever you might need, but you still don't want to have all your eggs in one basket. And it's good to do that. Like people have gotten cleaned out on Solana. Uh, they'll have a wallet connected with a ton of money in there. And they'll just click on the wrong link, and next thing you know, they're they're cleaned out. So it's a lot. It's it's a good practice to use multiple keys anyway. So I don't know really how far the the doxing is going to go. We're going to have to just find out what happens legally. I wanted to touch on that for a quick second with you, Sean. Um, when it comes to clicking on those links, I know it's hard to prevent someone from clicking on a link. But how can we better protect ourselves from having all of that cryptocurrency be evacuated from our wallets What when it comes to virtual or physical wallets? What are some things that we can do there? Yeah, there's there's a fair amount of due diligence that, that needs to happen. Um, we, we take a lot of things for granted, but crypto, even, I guess, counting Bitcoin, you know, being the, the original is we're like 12 years in, but this is still really new. One thing is when Solana specifically, because um, that's our wheelhouse right now, is you can get a pretty good idea of what accounts are involved when you click an, a transaction. It, it will ask you to approve the transaction, in which case it will show you a number of details about the transaction that you're about to improve. And that'll usually include accounts, um, how much it's going to cost, fees. And, and so forth. So you don't have to approve it right then and there. You can take a look, you can drop some of those account addresses into a blockchain explorer. Um, you can go to explorer.solana.com or SoulScan, a few others, and you can take a look at those programs. The ones that I've been seeing, the exploits that I've been seeing are for NFT drops, which are really exploitable because people get super excited and you'll hop in a discord channel and see just tons of bots and they'll try to make links that look exactly like the the group that's that's minting the F, the nft and they'll try to get people to click on them to make the web page look exactly the same and all that so if you're doing if you're going to participate in an nft mint you know make sure you're on the right website when you don't ever auto approve transactions, which is another thing, a lot of wallets will give you that option to auto approve. I would, um, <laughs> I would strongly recommend not doing that. Um, this way you get a little bit of time to screen it. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of it's going to be due diligence. Um, and one of the things we're doing at squads is after we release our main product um, very soon, mind you, um, we are going to be open sourcing our code. And that's something I think that's really important. So a lot of the more protocol level big players in these various blockchain ecosystems, they, they will open source their code. And you can verify that the program or the address that you're invoking or sending a transaction to is actually the one. And um, not everybody can you know, is well-versed in hacking or can recode, but just having something that is open source that you're um, interacting with is is already a, a much better indicator that it's vetted. A lot of these organizations or products will put out bug bounties. They have code audits, things like that. But I would say, unfortunately, it, it still comes down to, to due diligence for the most part. 
don't click on approve unless you know where it's supposed to go, right? That's what it seems like the moral of the story is. One of the things I really appreciate about you two is that you are building this technology because this has to be built in order for us to have more use cases on the blockchain. And I can tell you what my favorite future use case is. Maybe it will be implemented, maybe not. But I love hearing beats. I love hearing instrumentals and being able to take the stems or the components of the instrumental and combine them with other instrumentals. It's almost like fusing beats and sounds together to make my own song. But for you two, I would love to hear what is this what is this technology that you're hoping to build in the future? What is DAO's blockchain NFTs ultimately supporting in your vision? Let's start with you, Stepan. Well, that's a million dollar question, I guess, because uh, <laughs> you know that's the current. Because uh, right now, what we're getting out to sort of DevNet uh, in a couple of uh, Sean in a couple of hours or days, uh, but I think <laughs> it's uh, I think it's like the primitive that we want to get out. Like a squad is the sort of uh, a vehicle for a smaller group to uh, you know do specific things for their own reasons or for the DAO as like a sub DAO or mini DAO that kind of is connected to it. And we think like this is a core primitive, but uh, I'm I'm gonna share some alpha as they say. But in our mind, that's like the next real trend in in DAOs is actually the sort of departmentalization and the idea that uh, you know a DAO is not 2,000 people voting on a proposal together rather than a DAO is 10 squads, right? And that's that's the kind of the vision that that we have just because like a more focused coordination is gonna is gonna win in the end. And even from like the Ethereum ecosystem, you know, it has many DAO tools and it's good to kind of look there and, and see how, you know, what parts of it are succeeding and which are not, not really. And I think that's the trend you guys are gonna see in the next year as well. It's gonna be about uh, actually this kind of yeah fractionalization of DAOs essentially right so you will have more, many smaller groups right doing different specific things and then will also be done you know via um, you know code as well right like there will be a treasury DAO that controls like a multisig wallet essentially that controls the the treasury for for the larger DAO there will be a squad or like a smaller DAO that controls the you know program keys for protocol updates right and so essentially that will allow them to um, you know, to vote on protocol changes. Uh, and uh, down the line, it's going to be about actually, you know, what, what we're planning to do, right, is figuring out how all of these sort of smaller DAOs play into the larger DAO framework for the organization, as well as how to build in those checks and balances within that can give, you know, the larger framework control over the smaller ones and how they can interoperate uh, without any friction, but also be really effective. So I think we're yet to discover the kind of standard, right? That that will, you know, be the uh, the standard for organizing on Web3. And uh, we quite like this idea of smaller groups as in, you know, squads, because you can use a squad as just, you know, for internal purposes, us four, right, can create one and we can, you know, do it for co-investment and just, you know, or just, you know, some meme proposals if that's what we want. But also, you know, that same vehicle can then be plugged into other things and large organizations. And it also plays into the idea that you can have a squad that's a part of seven different DAOs, right? Like they're doing, you know, forever de development work and they're contributing to a number of different organizations, which also changes the dynamic, right? And I think that's what, yeah, that's the trend uh, we think is going to go. And that's what we are sort of building for. And uh, we 
you know, we don't have all the all the steps uh, figured out yet, but we know, you know, the first uh, the first core things we need to do, and then it's going to be a lot of, you know, getting feedback, talking to more communities, to 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 the users, and yeah, I mean, figuring out how it happens. But you know, also something we like about Squad is like it's a different point of origination for the DAO, right? Like in many ways, right now, DAOs come out of already large groups coming together, or like a protocol being live and uh, you know the, those users are becoming our members but for you know a squad can be a cool way for you know a few people to come on board and just do something together as a small group then it can grow into a larger one then they can set up a second squad then a third and so it kind of gives this a bit more democratization in a way right then more people can start DAOs that can then grow into these large organizations if the point of entry is really simple and cheap and kind of really accessible to to, to the masses so that's yeah kind of gave away our, our vision, which, you know, happy to share with you guys. Yeah, I'm in alignment there. Uh, Stepan and I are pretty congruent with that. I think that, the, you know, big DAOs for big concepts is one thing, but these smaller squads, I think, are going to make better decisions for smaller groups. And they'll collectively all be a part of something bigger, or they might all make up something bigger, the, the sum of their smaller parts. But five people or 20 people in a squad, I think is ideal for a project that involves those 20 people. Um, now a large protocol might benefit from having thousands of people casting votes for a proposal. But I think that, you know, like what Stepan said, it's going to be increased decentralization. Um, and that's what these smaller squads are going to be. It's, it's the DAO itself, but decentralized. Decentralized, decentralized. It's it's Dowception all the way, turtles, <laughs> turtles all the way down. <laughs> That's awesome, Sean. I want to ask you. Obviously, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you about the learnings and the best practices that you've seen going through through this entire project. Because I feel like that's one of the best ways for people to learn about the thing that they want to learn about. So, what are some of the things that you all have learned? going through this project, building squads and looking to support people in the metaverse? Oh, that's a, that's a really awesome question. Thank you. I, I um, was a typical Web2 full stack developer, software engineer for almost two decades now. Um, so I just doxed my age, actually. But um, so I started to pick up Rust this um, winter and I, aside from dabbling in Solidity a while back, I had also dabbled in Zilliqa um, before I had decided on pursuing Solana. Um, there's a lot of unique challenges with crypto and blockchain that don't really exist in Web2, especially when you deal with immutability, which is a really interesting thing. Uh, we try to lock down typical Web2 data, you know, large database clusters and managed keys and passwords, but like you hear constantly about things getting hacked all the time. And so-and-so just got hacked and all these emails were released. Facebook got hacked and all these whatevers were released to the public. Now with Web2, it's different. Um, there are vulnerabilities in the smart contracts that you write. So that's a totally different issue you have to deal with. Um, but the thing was just research, giving yourself plenty of time to just read and read and read. I think I spent like a month just reading about Solana, going through blogs and videos and 
countless late nights just trying to wrap my head around it. Solana in particular is really, really low level, and it's actually very simple, but because it's so simple, it's incredibly complex. You can do so much with it, but you really have to think, stop, and design. And it's so new that a lot of the tools are new. The development communities are new. Even with Ethereum, most, most of the things with Ethereum in regards to the development ecosystem is still new. So I would recommend just joining um, Discord servers of the technology that you're looking to. Like reach out to people, go to GitHub and like look at all the code, try to just absorb as much as you can. But then the most important thing of all is just to do it. You know, there's a DevNet on Ethereum and there's DevNet on uh, Bitcoin. And there's, a dev, there's a DevNet for all these things, because when you deal with immutable data, people know that you're going to mess things up and you have to test it out with fake money before you test it out with real money. So I always recommend just building and, and shipping stuff as quick as you can. It's one thing from Web2 that, that I still uh, try to practice as, as best I can, even though we do face new challenges with that. But you know, there's no shame in, in learning something new and just jumping in and, and figuring things out. Break stuff. It's OK. Um, nothing's going to happen. But when you decide to put something on on mainnet, open source it, get it audited, get other people to look at it, test it, test it, test it. But at the same time, hopefully those users will do their due diligence as well before they interact <laughs> interact with your product. But um, I would say just be fearless and and see what happens. It's exciting. Sometimes it's hard to find information. So uh, when we first started building squads, I had to dig and dig and dig. They had great developer docs, but they just weren't specific or granular enough about a certain concept that I needed. Sometimes you'll find some great code that shows you how to do something, but then that doesn't work at all for, for what you're trying to do. But it's getting better. It's it's gotten a lot better in a matter of months. We've seen the Solana development ecosystem just explode. Um, I think there's been more projects and more developer action in Solana in like the last few months than the last year in Ethereum. It's it's been absolutely incredible to watch happen, and people really like it. Um, it's a fast ecosystem, handles tons tons of transactions. And it's, it's actually not too bad. There's a great framework out there called Anchor. Um, so if you don't really want to get too deep into the weeds, Anchor provides a lot of abstraction for, for certain things on Solana. It makes it a little bit easier and quicker to build things. So you can check that out. Serum, Anchor, and um, as always, if it's specific to Solana, just join the Solana Discord. They are a fantastic team. They're a fantastic organization. And we've gotten a lot of support from them. They welcomed us with open arms. Um, they've been there for whatever we've, whatever we've needed. They've thrown resources at us, pointed us to the right people. Um, and everybody so far has come through and just, just been fantastic. So I would say for people out there that, that want to get into developing on Solana, like don't hesitate, just do it. Jump in, start asking some questions and reach out to the team. They're very accessible. Yeah, just go for it. Yeah, that's uh, that's a great answer, man. Uh, I think on my end, it's uh, you know we wouldn't have enough time <laughs> to cover everything <laughs> I've learned since uh, yeah since we started doing this. It's been yeah, I mean you know early days of startup, you're kind of doing everything at the same time. So there's a lot of experience uh, that you're you know you, you've never had before. Uh, I was kind of leading on the product side for a while and uh, had to 
you know, figure out how to actually do wireframing for uh, for the user interface and all that kind of technical technical things. I think at some point Sean even wanted to teach me to code, which we I think it made sense for us to to avoid that at least at that stage. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of like dealing with Solana ecosystem, different projects, dealing with investors, it's uh, yeah, there's so much, uh, and it's uh, the, the the craziest thing like how quickly you get used to having. You know, I have like about eight 30 minute calls a day. That's like my average. And uh, it's been like that for about four months, like this, this active. And uh, the amount, like the, you meet so many people and there's so many different angles and points of view. And some of them are great. Some of them are not so great. And it's like, probably what I've learned is actually dealing with people. Although I was dealing with most of them through a screen. Uh, which was uh, quite surprising because before that, you know, I had sort of a legal career where I was, you know, working with clients directly. But yeah, I mean, I probably learned more in the last six months than I learned uh, during my uh, years of legal practice. So that's uh, th that's something. And you know, once we started, you know, last week we got our on-chain governance client on mainnet, and we started getting some feedback and talking to communities. I think on that front, we learned, you know, that you definitely should, um, you know, we as Tooling providers should also uh, position ourselves as kind of educators in a way, right? And try and uh, get out the best information possible, you know, and best practices of governance and how it's done on Ethereum, the lessons that we've got from there. And uh, yeah, so I kind of learned responsibility uh, in, in some form uh, for that as well. So it's been, yeah, it's been really exciting. And uh, actually, for some reason, I thought, you know, after this kind of, you know, six months or like four months of more active work, I'd be really tired, but actually, I think startups in, in that sense are quite great because the like the goalpost keeps moving, and you really want to get to the next one all the time. So there's like constant energy that you keep getting to actually uh, because you know you want to achieve certain things, and I, I think it's uh, yeah, it's pretty fantastic that that sort of rhythm that we have, and uh, yeah, just uh, want to keep going. I love it. I can't wait to see how high you all fly. Sean Stefan, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the mics today. For the folks that want to stay up to date with you, with squads, and all the great things that you all are doing in the metaverse, what are the best ways that people can do that? Uh, we're pretty, I think our most active medium uh, used to be Twitter for a while. So Twitter definitely, you know, add squads uh uh dap would probably be the the first place to get the announcements but our discord is also now really really active we've been working on it a lot and we've hired some some people to join the team specifically dealing with discord so i definitely advise to you know check it out and we're also you know super approachable dm us on twitter message us in discord we'll guide you through it uh and uh, hopefully yeah, you'll find some useful tools uh, from what we're building Excellent. Thank you both so much for spending the time with us and sharing your insights and the great things that you're building. Looking forward to seeing everyone back in the metaverse. Until then, see you next time. Thank you.